0: Do you remember how we do this thing, Rob? What, what thing's that, Mark? This podcasting malarkey. What? Podcasting? Yeah. What's what's podcasting, Mark? I thought we were
1: just talking on the telephone. And why is this red light blinking at me? It's an answering machine. I think I can remember. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Farty Tales to Dubbo. My name is Mick. And I'm Rick. And tonight we're going to be talking about Red Dwarf for the next 10 hours so you don't have to. <laughs>
0: Happy middle of January to you, Mark, and welcome back to all our listeners to the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm, of course, Rob. And I
1: am, of course, Mark. So, Mark, happy uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. And to you, Rob. It's uh, been Granted, a long time. it's long been while. three weeks,
0: but been... still...
1: <laughs> I've actually enjoyed the break. It's been nice getting outside in the sunshine.
0: Yes, no, it's been lovely. I had a, a nice little break from work. Work shut down for uh, 10 days, so visited my family uh, up north and... Um, had uh, had a nice relaxing time and then and then come back to work and as with all holidays about after about an hour sitting at your desk you suddenly realise that the holiday glow has departed rather quickly so we're back into the grind of it here in uh, in Melbourne town
1: Groundhog Day isn't it
0: uh, every day until we all do it again at the end of this year
1: <laughs> exactly right yeah I had two and a half weeks off as well it was uh,
0: bliss and you work for a private organisation how can you justify that to the shareholders Mark
1: I'm one of them, so I justified it to myself.
0: You have to justify it to me as well, because I'm one of the shareholders too, mate. Okay,
1: I needed a break.
0: (laughs) No, recharge the batteries and recharge the podcasting batteries. We we had a dinner before Christmas just to plan out uh, 2015, at least the first... Six months, so we've got some some interesting topics to be discussing over the next uh, yeah next few months at least anyway, and hopefully some uh, some more interview guests, but that's for later down the track.
1: Did you uh, watch any Doctor Who over that break, or listen to any Doctor Who over the over the break?
0: As I did for the previous uh, Christmas special, I uh, was on holidays um, and uh, took advantage of my uh, uh, the motel's Wi-Fi connection to uh, catch up on uh, Last Christmas. Uh, just like to thank my brother for <laughs> donating that free Wi-Fi. <laughs>
1: Hello if you're listening.
0: Hello <laughs> if you're listening, my brother. Yeah, so that was the only thing I watched, Doctor Who related. I've, uh, I've been following with some interest the the announcements. As a side note, the announcements regarding the Colonel Lethbridge Stewart uh, series of, of books. But no, my, my, my Doctor Who watching solely related to uh, Last Christmas, uh, mainly because uh, I've just been busy with other stuff. What about you, Mark?
1: Uh, like you, I watched Last Christmas. I watched a couple of other stories that uh, I'll talk about later. So I caught up on the uh, Toby Haydock's Who's Round podcast. I managed to uh, clear my backlog of those doing various tasks around the home. So uh, that was probably the only sort of podcast I listened to. And also uh, the Blue Box podcast. Christmas podcast as well, which uh, you featured on. So listen to your dulcet tones whilst peeling my spuds.
0: Some fans must think that the only Doctor Who ep- story that I've ever watched is Horror of Fang Rock because
1: I keep on going on about it. <laughs> I got that feeling uh, as well.
0: <laughs> I, I have watched other story, other stories, people. Uh, it's just that uh, horror. I love horror. What can I say? I love it. Your
1: dinner guest was interesting. I would have personally gone for Beryl Reed myself. Uh, she would have got pissed in the corner and started uh, running around trying to touch everybody up.
0: She's much more Christmassy than a horribly disfigured uh, man in a gimp suit leering at you from the other end of the table over the Christmas turkey. I had to find someone, and he he was... Uh, Shares Jack was the man, or Christopher Gable, was the man who's uh, just his features came to mind immediately.
1: Lots of love for the Five Doctors. Well, yes.
0: Yeah, I love the Five Doctors. I mean, I suppose it, it, it does have that celebratory Christmas feel to it, doesn't it? It's the sort of thing that you, you could screen... At Christmas and uh, and and uh, and it would sort of fit in with the tone of the uh, the season. Very good. And the brigadier is not encased in uh, metal, so that's always oh. a bonus.
1: Why do you have to bring that up?
0: Uh, well, it's no longer Christmas, mate. So all my cheer has run down the, the the sink drain.
1: Is that new book series going to feature the Iron Patriot at any stage?
0: No, no. I've listened to a couple of interviews with the editor uh, Andy Frankum Allen, and uh, <laughs> just. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the disdain that, <laughs> that, 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 that sort of oozes from him whenever someone asks him that question is very hard to miss. So, no, they're not going to be going there. They only they only have the license for uh, relating to uh, Web of Fear and uh, Abom- Abominable Snowmen, and uh, it'll only be sort of very late 60s before UNIT actually comes along. And I've actually had the chance to look at some of the uh, submission guidelines or, or, or uh, excerpts from it and uh, they're definitely going their, their own way in that, in that sort of three or four year gap in sort of story chronology. Looks like it's going to be really interesting, actually. I, I don't usually buy uh, uh, tie-in books or Doctor Who tie-in books, not, not, since, not consistently since the, uh, the sort of part way through the BBC books range. But I might give this one a go. I mean, it's obviously the writers that they've got there, uh, Lance Parkin, uh, David McKinty, I mean, these are seasoned pros in terms of Doctor Who fiction and other tie-in fiction. So there's certainly some, Something of value there At least anyway And uh,
1: Definitely give it a Give it a go For the first at least uh, uh, Novel I'm glad they're not Touching the Iron Patriot Because that clears the way To the animation series On the uh, CBBC channel Really? Yes Speaking of plugging uh, Another book anthology Is coming out Seasons of War Starring yes. the John Hurt War Doctor So we'll plug that At the end of the show as well Vast array of talent Working on that uh, Publication
0: This isn't the Blake 7 podcast Mark <laughs> No
1: <laughs> it could be though It, it could be
0: What, what would uh, our Blake7 podcast title be? Avon Betrayed Me? Blake Betrayed Me? Avon Calling Avon Calling, no uh, So we, we've touched on uh, having watched Last Christmas Look, the reviews are, are well and truly in on Last Christmas So we won't spend any great length of time on
1: it Let's try under 10 minutes I'll put the timer on my phone Ooh. And when I say go, you can start going Me? Do you, you. want me to go
0: first? Crikey
1: Crikey? the just... watch is on me and you got 10 minutes to get through this all right three two one go last Christmas
0: I went into it with absolutely no anticipation whatsoever and having only washed it once in the middle of the night after a heavy dinner uh, my thoughts on it are mostly positive I think it wasn't because I ha- it wasn't I was it wasn't living up to any sort of expectation it didn't uh, it didn't disappoint me. I thought that the Santa Claus thing was integrated into the story well, so it wasn't sort of this thing that was just sticking out and making me increasingly angry. It was actually, it, it did make sense within the story, uh, so I was glad of that. Um, and, uh, you know, Capaldi was, was good and, and um, General Louise Coleman was, was good. I mean, they're both very good. We, we all know what the yeah. leads are going to bring to, the, to a particular story. I thought it was a very small story, in a sense. I mean, in, in the sense that cramped confines of the of the Arctic base, but also it's effectively uh, one extended dream sequence, a nested series of dreams, and it sort of even that has uh, leaves me with the impression of a sort of a confined space. So, I mean, base under siege uh, with uh, with some pretty creepy. Uh, creatures to be dealing with, though Moffat leans heavily on his uh, sorted bag of tricks that we've always seen, uh, so there's no, nothing different there. But uh, overall, not clearly not the worst Christmas special, uh, but not the best. But uh, a, a good, a good solid episode, I think.
1: What about? What did you think? Well, my expectations were quite low, so uh, like you, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I've actually watched this twice. So, um, yeah, it's bits of Inception thrown in, wasn't there? Bits of Seeds of Doom thrown in there as well. Uh. The only thing is that the guests were underutilised, particularly Michael Troughton. And, you know, we shouldn't say Michael Troughton should be the focus because his dad was Doctor Who. Uh, I just thought, like Bill Bailey, he was uh, underutilized, really, wasn't he? Yes. The whole concept regarding the dreamscape and and everything like that, I think, was done a uh, done a lot better in the Red Dwarf, uh, better than Life novel.
0: I mean, those sort of those sort of things, as you say, I mean, those sort of things can work really well. I mean, Inception didn't didn't make a whole lot of money just because it was rubbish. I mean, it's it's, it's an idea that appeals, you know, and uh, I suppose on the smaller scale that Doctor Who uh, offers, uh, there's only so much you can do with it, but. Um, I suppose there was an expectation once you realised what the creatures were up to or what they were capable of you sort of had that expectation that um, it was going to be something like that where it was all a dream sequence and that sort of takes the menace out of of what's happening in a sense though Capaldi definitely conveyed it to me anyway of, uh, of sort of the desperation of you know, getting, getting out of the situation that they'd found themselves in. A
1: couple of friends of mine have got younger children and they uh, started uh, playing the episode for them and immediately turned it off when, you know, Clara on the roof with Santa was saying, you know, you're not real and everything like that. I can, under- I can
0: understand that, that, that impulse.
1: I mean, they sort of danced a line there quite finely, I, I thought.
0: Really? I thought they just sort of, hit- Moffat sort of jumped over it and sort of slapped kids in the face.
1: <laughs> Well, he's telling everybody to shut up again, wasn't he? <laughs> I actually wish they would shut up saying "shut up." It
0: is, um, it is rude. I remember when I was in primary school, I used to say "shut up" quite a lot, and I was told off for that because it is, it's, it's rude. It's rude yeah, the, that's right. Should the doctor be that rude in a show that the kids are watching?
1: Uh, I don't mind him saying it occasionally, but it's getting a bit repetitive. Her uh, saying that all the time. What about um, Danny Pink? The return thereof. Happy with that?
0: Nonplussed. Uh, given that it was a, an extended dream sequence, the whole the whole episode, I, I can understand exactly where they were coming from with that. Mm. I'm still not entirely sure uh, from Death in Heaven where Danny ended up, because he was communicating with Clara and released that young boy he'd accidentally shot. Where 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 were they? Was he in actual? Where was he when he was doing that? I don't understand.
1: Wasn't he in the Nether Sphere?
0: Still in the ne- Nether Sphere.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, but then how do you release a physical body from the nether sphere? I think you should go back and watch it again.
0: Mark, Mark, God bless you. Look, God, yeah. God bless you. Okay, God bless you.
1: So, if you watch it again, then you can tell me all about it. No. Well,
0: I probably should go back and watch it seriously. I mean, there's there's no compelling reason not to
1: really. <laughs> Apart from lots of alcohol. To watch uh, um, it
0: with. Um, yeah, I don't have enough alcohol in the household to actually. No uh, Numb me to the I'm just looking at a 4 liter bottle there But um, it's not big enough It's almost empty Sadly
1: If it's all one massive dream sequence Wouldn't it have been uh, great If Capaldi said to Clara and her at the end Oh, thank God that was a dream I just I had the most crazy dream The master has turned into a woman And my greatest friend has turned into the Iron Patriot Oh, thank God that didn't happen Well, I'm sure that there are some people out there Who are Who are clinging on to that hope Like me
0: <laughs> uh, At the end of the day you know, I don't lose any sleep over that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Nick Frost was good. He was good, actually. Yeah. Though his role sort of petered out partway through, didn't it, really? Yeah, I so. he sort of He was there and then he, he wasn't there, except for the tangerines at the, uh, at the, at the I've end. I've never... What, what is this thing with tangerines? Is that some sort of British thing around Christmas? Or I can't remember getting tangerines. It would have been the wrong part of the year, for starters, unless they were getting imported from southern climes. Spain, probably. Espanol. Espanol, okay. yeah.
1: Interesting. On the whole... I mean, it was a vast improvement on End of Time, Time of the Doctor, uh, Widow in the Wardrobe. Vast improvement for me. So yeah, I watched it once with a couple of glasses of cider and uh, was grinning like an idiot when Capaldi was taking the reins. <laughs> and uh, even watching it on the train, I did have a smile because I was thinking to myself, see, the grumpy old bugger can smile. Well. Wow. Yes. Uh, just a quick one. The mm-hmm. um
0: the young girl who did the dance routine uh through the um the infirmary there. Yes. She's uh, been ta- tapped or tagged or uh, alleged that she may be a replacement for Jenna Louise Coleman.
1: I thought she was being tagged as a uh, new Rani. Well, look, in in this new
0: bright shiny world of two thousand and fifteen, Mark, anything is possible. I suppose. I mean, just a very very brief glimpse that we got of her at the uh, when she sort of woke up, in a flat. Empty, boring, sort of rang a little bit of rose color for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we, I mean? Do we? I think we discussed this when Capaldi was cast. Do we really need um, a bright, spunky uh, female companion anymore? Do we? Do we have to have that sort of thing? Sort of that stamp on the series? No. So why do they insist? Uh, why do they, I mean? I know why they insist because they want sort of a balance in the cast. But mm. you know,
1: do do we need it? It's a successful formula, isn't it? Uh, I was watching one of my underrated stories mm. and uh, was a, of an a older companion and would have been absolutely ideal to be played against a, a youthful doctor. So, yes, they've got an older doctor, but they're still contemporary with a, with a, a fairly mature actress as well. Mm. Um, but I suppose they're going for the younger actress to um, keep the kids entertained and, and I suppose that's their link into the show.
0: We we live in an age, uh, an entertainment age, anywhere where youth seems to be. Uh, well, no, youth definitely is flavour of the month. Yeah. So I mean that executives, I suppose, TV executives sit down and pore over the, the viewing figures and all that sort of thing, and uh, and see who the demographics are and and how they can sort of, um, how they can sort of boost those numbers or massage those figures by you know by putting someone there that who's who's appealing. Mm. It work. I understand that it works, but. I don't know, just for variety's sake or storytelling sake, it would be interesting. I mean, it would have been nice to have, say, Danny Pink in the TARDIS and Clara Left Behind for one episode just to see a, a different dynamic between between the, the, the lead characters. Not, I'm not saying I'm bored with General Louise Coleman, but hmm. uh, eventually um, they're going to have to replace her, and I, I'm just wondering whether they would feel adventurous enough to go somewhere different. I mean, Big Finish cast Maggie Stables as Evelyn Smythe, you know, an older an older. Companion or an older actress, uh, and that worked really well. That that, that pairing uh, with Colin Baker uh, was quite popular. Yes, very good. Uh, but you know, I mean, it can work. Uh, we, we all know that. You know, uh, with uh, with Harry Sullivan, it, it worked, and it still resonates today. And you know, uh, Mark Strickson as Turlo, it's it's it still works. It can work.
1: Oh well, we'll see. They could have kept Danny Pink alive and turned Clara into the Iron Patriot S. Uh, yes, they could have. By the way, ten minutes and five seconds, we've finished our. That's it. Last Thank Christmas. you very much. Thank that you. was the uh, review
0: of Last Christmas. Yeah mate, before we move on to our uh, main topic tonight, um, we've got a new segment for two thousand and fifteen. We won't trot it out every every episode, but uh, we'll pluck a date out of Doctor Who's history and uh, we'll have a chat about uh, an episode that uh, or an event that relates to the series uh, on that particular date. And we're calling this uh, segment uh, Horrible Who-stories. Should we sing it? Uh, <laughs> no. Horrible Who-stories. Uh, thank you, Mark. Your dulcet uh, voice is uh, very pleasing to my ears. D'all
1: never got the call from Big Finish over the holiday break. Really? No, my Tom Baker's uh-huh. being left to... But they on the on vine. The shelf. It's oh. their loss, mate.
0: It's their loss. If they, if Nick Briggs and Jason Hay-Ellery can't see, <laughs> just can't even hear, hear the endless possibilities that you offer as, as Tom Baker's uh, protege and heir, yep. son of Tom Baker. Yeah. Call you stob. Son of a stob. Son of a stob.
1: Sobby. Sob so, <laughs> <son> off.
0: <laughs> son of Baker. Sob. We're we'll calling so son of Baker.
1: Sob off, yes. So the um,
0: the anniversary uh, or date we've, we've plucked out uh, is um, Vengeance on virus Mark. Apparently, not apparently, it did. Episode 1 of Vengeance on Virus went out 30 years ago yesterday as of the date of recording, which is the, uh, the 20th of January. On the 19th of January, Vengeance on virus was screened first on BBC One. 30 years mark
1: i can't believe it and i think it's screened in australia i reckon it was about 1985 so december i remember we were about six to eight months behind uk transmissions back then it was yes it was ever thus It the same with our
0: magazines and the same with our books and yes uh, there's no, there's no point in being an ex-colonial backwater, I can tell you right now. And
1: it was cut into four episodes for over here. So the, yeah. the episode endings were really quite strange on some of them. They us in the four-episode edition of The Five Doctors. Uh, maybe. I think the end of episode three is Anthony only walking down a staircase.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. And isn't it Sarah, Sarah Jane falling down uh, a soft
1: incline? Extremely soft. In episode bang, two, in I think, or yeah. very gently inclined. Yeah. yeah, but so back to vengeance on Varos. Thirty years, eh? Wow, the the one that started it all. Started what? Uh, the BBC's even greater disdain towards the program, <laughs> even though Jonathan Powell said the scripts were really, really, really well done and excellent. Um, obviously he was a lying somewhat.
0: Doctor Who was being readied for its own acid bath, I suppose.
1: Oh. What are your memories of Vengeance on Varos? That whole season, for some reason, I have this
0: memory of watching it at my grandparents' house in the afternoon after school. I do remember watching Attack of the Cybermen there. So it must have been on an on a afternoon of a school day. I think my folks must have been uh, away from home and I was being looked after. So, um, yeah, I, I look, I mean, I, my memories of watching it are just sort of, you know fragmented images and, and things like that I, I don't know whether I thought that what I was seeing was felt different to what I'd grown up with in the late 70s um, but it, it, it certainly did seem different I mean the sort of the outside the, the, the locate, location shooting was differently definitely different it didn't seem like it was a bad story or, or anything did I say outside shooting sorry I'm just thinking Inside. about attack of the cyberman I apologize yeah. it didn't seem like a bad story it, it seemed very interesting. Uh, I I think I might have been um, uh, taken up or caught up with the two, uh, the the man and wife, who were sort of commenting on the action more than anything else. Mm. Uh, I mean, and coming away from it, you know, years and years later, I I think it's probably one of the strongest stories in that, you know, that that first full Colin Baker season. Mm. I can understand why the BBC might have sort of looked at it askance. Um, But I mean, a lot of myths have grown up about it, particularly about uh, the Sixth Doctor pushing that uh, guard into the. into into the acid bath, but uh, which is a furphy of the highest order. But uh, no, I, I mean, I uh, looking back, it's a, it's a very it's a strong story uh, in in that season. Uh, what did you? What were your memories of it back then? Thirty years ago, Mark.
1: My main abiding memory of uh, Vengeance on Varros in season twenty two was uh, we got our first video recorder, so it was the first sort of uh, Doctor Who I was taping at the time.
0: Uh, did you keep the tapes, or did you have to record over
1: them? No, I actually kept the tapes, but I had uh, three hour tapes, so what I had to do was to um, try and edit uh, the cliffhangers together. So I was doing my own versions of TV movies. Some attempts were successful, some were bloody horrible.
0: You weren't editing on the fly, as it were. Yes, right? I was, yes. Oh,
1: it was uh, editing on the fly, trying to yeah make my own movie compilations because uh, tapes were very expensive back then, if I remember.
0: My first experience of watching Doctor Who that had been recorded off the telly was a cousin of mine. This is the infamous cousin who bought 20 Target novelisations in one hit. He taped um, the, th- the Five Doctors. Mm. And I remember being around there uh, shortly after the first broadcast. And, you know, it, the image looked very good. And then coming back, I think, six months later, and there was just a snow of dropouts and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, it very, I mean, it was, it was a good t- great time to be a fan, obviously. I mean, you were probably in the later on in that decade, you were in the heartland of, of fandom here in Victoria where tape trading was all the rage.
1: Yes, it was, actually. Yes, I think I was one of the main suppliers. To the UK? <laughs> oh, both ways. <laughs> yeah, to the UK and, and getting stuff back. Uh, oh, yes. Memories, memories. But my vengeance on Varus, yes. Um, I don't think I can remember being overly upset about uh, the doctor's portrayal or thought it was a fairly solid story. Uh, mm. What sort of struck me was that what is this, what was the obsession with old men in nappies? Because in Vengeance of Paras, had these two old guys jumping out in nappies. And the season before you had The Awakening, where uh, this apparition that the Malice had conjured up, was mm. another old man in nappies. So I didn't understand, was there some sort of story arc happening? Sort of, uh, Eric saying was putting the uh, the nappy arc in place, maybe, well, I don't know. I, su-
0: I suppose nappies are better than loincloths and, you know, yeah. loincloths flap around and, uh, you know, it may cause... May, uh, <laughs> may Demand a, a reshoot of that scene if something you know, other than the loincloth cloth is seen flapping around. This so it's
1: embarrassing, <laughs> but so I just remember that the TARDIS scenes at the beginning just went on for ages and they're all arguing. And, and Andrew Carmel points out quite rightly it's just neighbors in space, you know, and mm. it just took ages for the action to, to get going. And that was that was a, a result of the obviously the, the, the switch to the 45 minute format where mm. they had the extra time to breathe, but they just really. Concentrate on lack of character development really between these two characters who really couldn't stand the side of each other for the most part. I, I don't.
0: I, yeah, I don't think they had a real handle on the format no. and had a structure a, 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 a forty-five minute episode in terms of uh, a story or a story arc within yeah. that episode. Yeah. So and I spoke look, they'd hit upon having the the, the the sixth doctor as being an argumentative, spiky sort of character, and that was one way to do it, but. Sometimes it felt like uh, you were being hit over the head with it. Yeah, it was And thought. Again, I mean, if you're sitting watching a story about two people arguing in a white room, where's the excitement in that? There's, it sort of stops the story stone dead, doesn't it?
1: That's right. But uh, Syl was you know, a magnificent uh, villain. Great cast in there too, like Martin Jarvis. Um, was it the guy from Conspiracy, I can never remember his name, Owen something... Yes. Yeah, great cast. Sheila Reid, yeah. Mm. Jason Connery with no shirt on. No, he wasn't that great, though. But um, (laughs) he's not a great actor, unlike his father. But of course, uh, February 27th, uh, Happy Hiatus Day. That's a day scarred in my mind. So uh, maybe for our next podcast, we might uh, have another horrible... His story about uh, that particular day where the show was put on hiatus. And maybe our listeners can send in their memories about uh, how they heard the news of the original cancellation. Yes. So we invite those feed- that feedback from our listeners, actually. All the details at the end. Or even send in some audio feedback because uh, it's easier for me to edit in as opposed to reading it out. Uh, this story hit the interwebs a couple of weeks ago, Rob, while we were on hiatus. Russell T. Davis uh, giving his thoughts on the... Uh, 10th anniversary of the Doctor Who reboot. Mm. Um, basically, uh, the former showrunner has revealed that he replied with a polite thanks, but no thanks, when approached by the corporation for its 10th anniversary celebrations. It's uh, it's
0: interesting that he says that someone from the BBC's branding team sent him an, a lovely email. No one from the actual production team. Hello, Edward <laughs> Russell, if you're listening. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's telling that uh, the branding team sent was the one who reached out to him because Clearly, there's a marketing opportunity there to uh, to to get Russell T Davies uh, back on board. Mm. You can you can imagine the sort of awkward uh, photo shoot with him on
1: one side uh, and uh, Stephen Moffat on the other, progenitor and successor, as as it were. Not as uh, awkward as uh, Russell T Davies and Christopher Eccleston in the same photo shoot.
0: Uh, there wasn't any sort of animosity between the two of them. I, I would I would hope. Uh, I don't time. know. They've been very diplomatic to a point.
1: Yeah. They'll be diplomatic until, you know,
0: they, they stop being diplomatic, I suppose, which will be another 20 years.
1: Till the NDAs run out. <laughs> yeah, Moffat says it's time for the show to settle down and move forward after the 50th, which I actually agree with. Did Moffat say that or Russell said that? No, actually, Moffat said that. Speaking oh, at the too. world premiere of the last series, Moffat agree, appeared to agree, suggesting it was time for the show to settle down. Yeah, well, that sort of scuppers our
0: thoughts last year about uh, the possibility of uh, them celebrating uh, a 10th anniversary uh, of the show's return. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the point is valid that um, they've only recently celebrated 50 years. Yeah. And uh, Davies makes the point uh, either in this little press release or. uh Uh, Article or or elsewhere that why would you celebrate the 50th anniversary of a show and then the 10th anniversary of a show. Yeah,
1: it's a bit ridiculous. Uh,
0: Doctor Doctor Who is notoriously timey-wimey, but even that makes little sense.
1: Yeah, and let's be honest, uh, the 50th wasn't really the 50th because the show was off air for 15 years or 16 years, so it was only the 35th, so, you know, that took the piss a bit there, but that's okay. Um, Forget the 10th, just move on. I think we're all done.
0: Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if they even touch on anything, any elements from the first series when they got back. Some some people... I mean, there's a rumour floating around that the Autons uh, may feature in uh, the next... or the Series 9, I think it uh, it is. That's a rumour that I've seen, but uh, all read about. Okay. Whether the, whether that's true or not, well, you know.
1: Have you got? Have you seen the rumour list that's floating around at the moment? Do you want to quickly uh, talk ten, about Ten that? pieces of rumour and gossip for Doctor Who Series 9? Uh, from uh, Doctor Who Worldwide. Plugged oh one. yes. Uh,
0: well, what do we got here? Sort of. Mark Gaddis is well. That, Mark Gaddis is apparently penned an episode for series nine. No surprise uh, there. No, that, that's. I don't think that's a rumour. Really, no, no. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's Tuesday. Mark Gaddis must be writing a, uh, a, a, a script for Doctor Who. Uh, there's talk of an anniversary minisode having been filmed. Mm. That might be interesting. Mm. I mean, well, no, no. They did the minisode for the fiftieth anniversary. Hello, Paul McGann. Get him back, him and Capaldi. Imagine, th- imagine if they got Eccleston back for a mini side. Oh.
1: Get to see the regeneration from McGann to Eccleston as it should have been. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the the most disappointing uh, rumor on this list, and again they're rumors, so I mean you can throw anything against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, Michelle Gomez will be returning to the series as Missy,
1: <sighs> and the the <Paranoster> <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Uh, In in a more positive rumour,
0: Listen apparently may get a sequel. Listen Up. Listen Up. Yes, I like that. That's quite good. Seven years later? Seven seven episodes later, uh, Listen Up the sequel. I would like that actually because um, there's a a few things left hanging uh, in in the episode Listen. uh, Like exactly what that entity is standing behind young Danny and the Doctor and Clara. There's just that sort of formless shape sit- uh, standing there. That'd be interesting.
1: Ah, oh, yes, yes.
0: So, you know, you can only capture... It's hard to capture lightning in a bottle twice, so uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see.
1: It'll probably be called Shut Up and Listen, knowing Moffat. <laughs> so, I mean, there are
0: all sorts of rumours a- out there. There's talk about a two-parter uh, this uh, this uh, coming series. And, the TARDIS uh, uh,
1: will gain a new crew member of sorts, a CAT. Now, the last oh, yeah. cat the Doctor had, I think, was in Doctor Who and the Minds of Terror on the Commodore 64, <laughs> if I remember. <laughs> oh, didn't he have one on one of those new adventure books that uh, only three people can remember as well, probably? Cat's um, Corona, yes. Uh, the Commodore yes.
0: 64 Children was an advanced personal computer from the 1980s, that fabled decade. And it was Keeping Up With You. Yes, exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> Toby Whithouse is writing two episodes. Happy, sad, and different about that? Um, he wrote uh, School Reunion, didn't he? He did. He also was yeah. the showrunner for uh, Being Human, which uh, was a show I particularly enjoyed as well. So... I like that that was good.
0: Has he written anything else for Doctor Who? Oh, Vampires of
1: Venice. That's Vampires right, of that. Venice. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it.
0: Notice, notice that a lot of the writers who get a gig are people who have either, have obviously, previous writing experience or actually have their own shows. I mean, mm. you're Cross, Luther, Gaddis, League of Gentlemen, Sherlock, Moffat, Sherlock, Doctor Who... Yeah. Uh, Peter Harness. I don't know who Peter Harness is. He's the one who's been um, tapped to write the the two parter. I suppose I could Google his name, but that would actually require effort. So yeah, exactly. Um, we'll just move on. But they're are the rumours that are swirling uh, around the world. Mm. Um, there was uh, actually, and the value of rumours it can be borne out by the fact that Charles Dance was tapped as being uh, the master uh, about this time last year. What happened? And uh, what exactly happened with that? Because I was—I I thought that was a stone cold fact.
1: Um,
0: I wish that did happen. I wish that did happen. He's—he's he's got a—he's got—he's got a face to be the master and the voice
1: and the acting credibility as well, hasn't he? Really? Bring—not to say that Michelle Gomez has no credibility. No but, just, no, but just yeah, he bowls yeah, that up. Yeah. Oh, the series will feature the hunt for Gallifrey and the return of the Time Lords. Yeah. 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 Bit obvious, isn't it? Fair enough. You'd, well, I mean, you'd
0: think that Moffat would want to do that on his watch. Uh, is he expected to stay
1: on past series nine? I would expect that this would be his last series. But would he go with Capaldi? No, I think Capaldi is going, is staying for three years, isn't he? I, I've always said this: a showrunner can only do the the show for a certain amount of period before they get hooed out. Uh, and I think he is coming close to that, in my opinion.
0: It's 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 funny. I mean, you you see American shows and they have their own showrunners, show like Vince Gilligan did uh, Breaking Bad, and they're they're they with the series for you know
1: Forever. six or seven
0: years, yeah. and you don't and you don't get the sense. I mean, these are the very good series, obviously, and these mm. are, these are, you don't get the serious sense that they they burn out um, as quickly as we think Moffat might have.
1: But did you see Vince Gilligan going on the Breaking Bad World Tour and and then those sort of extracurricular events? No no.
0: no, no, that's true. He, I suppose, knuckled down and, and, and wrote a series or two.
1: Yes, with a decent story arc. <laughs> Look, you know, we, 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 we do berate Stephen Moffat
0: occasionally, uh, probably more than occasionally, but we, we do also acknowledge that he can write. He can write good Doctor Who episodes. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. Listen, listen was definitely one of those... was a highlight of Series mm. 8 for me. It's just... And we've gone... And this is old ground, so I apologise for bringing it up, but I, I just think... Uh, the the, the uh, slaving himself to sort of the idea of having an arc uh, running through a series and then sort of being constrained in that way is is damaging for his creatively limiting for him um, and if he was to ever listen to this episode and was probably just screaming abuse at me fair enough I don't know what I'm talking about but <laughs> uh, I, I don't know just uh, look we can go over old ground so let's let's not, let's yeah. not.
1: I think he said it very eloquently a few podcasts ago banging your desk. Just tell a story, Stephen. Let's have an adventure. (laughs) I actually have those words tattooed on my... uh, Arse. (laughs) uh, Rump. Rumpity bump
0: bump bump. Rumpity. Rumpity.
1: A bit of bad news uh, came through as well, that uh, Fiona Cumming, uh, director of four Peter Davison adventures, died. Um, That's a bit of sad news, actually, because I think... Uh, she gets overlooked with the Peter Grimwades and Graham Harpers of that uh, particular era. Uh, the four stories she did uh, were very well-directed episodes and, in fact, uh, probably some of the highlights of the Davison era. I've just had a thought. Have uh, all the directors who've directed a
0: uh, first story, have they all passed away now? Uh,
1: we're just talking classic series or new series? Classic series, yeah, classic series. So who did *Pair of the Daleks? I think Andrew Morgan's still alive. Is he still with us? Yeah, with uh, Tom Narani. Well, career-wise, he might not be. Uh, Christopher Barry died from Power of the Daleks. Um, Who did Spearhead from Space? Derek Mar- Martinus died. He's dead. Uh, dead. Chris Barry did Robot. Fiona Cumming did Valva, Peter Boffett did Twin Dilemma, dead. Um, Andrew Morgan still alive. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs still alive. I'm calling the McGann movie. It's classic as well. But, okay, um, so two. Yeah. Yes.
0: So... Hmm. Uh, that just popped up in my head while you were reading that out
1: I wasn't reading it out, I was actually recalled from my brain
0: <laughs> Yes, well you are a, um, a Doctor Who font of information
1: Well, this actually ties into uh, another thing that I heard on our podcast a couple of weeks ago The Who Wars podcast uh, with Rob Irwin he talking about the fact that um, you know us old classic fans can recite the names and uh, key facts about the series quite, uh, quite easily but when it comes to new series, facts and figures, and, and, and things like directors and writers, and I know me and you do struggle with this, uh, yeah. I can't remember half of them to save myself. Here's a bit of a exercise for you. So you name me uh, two or three classic era script editors. Oh,
0: well, Whittaker, Holmes, Dix, uh, saywood uh, that young fellow whose name escapes me, but he has the glasses and he wrote... Um Cartmall for the m- m- Yeah, I mean that's 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 fairly You've easy. You've got those. Now, what I about I can do that standing on my head.
1: Exactly, and you are. So, what about new series of script editors? Can you recite any of them? Well.
0: The only one whose name I can remember is Gary Russell. But effectively, the script editing role has been reduced, apparently, to photocopying the scripts and handing them out at the, uh, the tone <laughs> meetings, isn't it?
1: Well, I don't think he did a particularly good job on the end of time. I was reading the uh, one of the Doctor Who uh, yearbooks that Pixley puts together about the anniversary year. And uh, there was a line in there saying that uh, Stephen Moffat asked the script editor, uh, whose name escapes me, to go back through the entire series uh, of New Who and pick out how many times the Time War was referenced. Not actually sitting down and editing scripts, can you please go through all those episodes? Effectively, they're a glorified gopher, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. I can only name Gary Russell, and I think Helen Rayner. And that's it. And same with directors. I, don't, I mean, you can get, like, uh, Nick Hurran definitely, because I think he's one of the better uh, new series Universal directors. Seline. Yeah. Uh, who uh... did you mention?
0: Eurus Lin, yeah, Eurus Lin, that um, fellow who directed Revelation, who come over. to the Oh, Graham series. Harper, yeah, Graham Harper,
1: Keith Bowick for infamous reasons, but yes. there's not many I can remember off the top of my head. So my theory is that I think the reason I can probably recite a lot of facts and figures because when I started watching the show and getting really immersed in the show at a very early age, mm. and this is when there was no other distractions in my life apart from you know. Obtaining Doctor Who books and 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 DWM and just devouring every fact and figure I could get. We're mm. now in my mid 40s where yeah. life is encroached in a way, and I have other much more important facts and figures that I have to worry about on a daily basis than trying to remember uh, things from a TV show.
0: Mm. There's um I remember reading a couple of years ago. There's a there's a theory out there uh, which may be true, maybe not, but that, that when you're younger. The memories that you make at that time uh, are sort of more easily or more permanently stored in your memory. And as you get older, mm. uh, your you know your effective short-term memory at that point begins to fade away because it's just that much harder to retain newer memories. So mm. you, you, you sort of speak to people who are you know, elderly or pension pensionable age, and they can talk about the 1930s and 40s as if it was yesterday, mm. but ask them to ask them what they watched for, uh, you know, what they had for breakfast on the previous Saturday, and they look at you like you're an idiot. Mm. And it's the same, I mean, it's the same for me, I suppose. I mean, I can talk about, uh, I mean, I have a, I've, in terms of my memories of my youth, I mean, I, I remember uh, something, uh, I have a memory in my head from when I was one year one years old, and I can only base that on the fact that we were living in a house uh, when I was, you know, for the first year of my life. But I mean, in terms of Doctor Who, um, you know, I, I can remember where I was when I saw, you know, Time Warrior. I can remember missing uh, the second episode of Mask of Mandragora uh, one Tuesday night because I come home from uh, piano practice, practice late at about 7 o'clock. Um, you know, I can reel off dates, not necessarily dates, but people who, who, who wrote what episodes they wrote and, and how many episodes, uh, you know, Colin Baker was Dr. Four and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, and as you say, with the new series, uh, I can remember more of the first year or two, actually, in terms and you know those directors' names that I mentioned before, Euro Slynn, um, the fellow who did Revelation, who's never forgotten <laughs> again, <laughs> Graham Harper, yeah, that one there. Hmm. Uh, I can remember those more, but uh, as my, as I, I mean, I stopped re- buying DWM about a hundred issues ago, and I don't frequent the the forum, so those, so so those sort of facts and figures don't necessarily impregnate themselves in my memory. Uh, so, yeah. Interesting little experiment, isn't it? Well, I mean, and you can apply to anything in life, really. I mean, mm. uh, if, if, if we had been hardcore football fans, for instance, in our teen years, we'd, you know, uh, we'd, have, uh, we'd would have had more time at that point to devote to watching it and reading about it. Mm. And now, I mean, we've got full-time jobs and full-time families and, 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 and
1: other interests that uh, mm. take us away from it. So you don't have necessarily have your finger on the pulse my football facts are very easy to remember that uh, Richmond only won a grand final in 1980 and that's it. Well, that's the only fact that really matters mate.
0: And and the perpetual failure of the team
1: losers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we'll have our special AFL pre-season edition in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Oh mm. god, it's coming back in in February. Jeez. Yes, I know. I know. <sighs> All
0: right, so uh, well, let's move on to our main topic then. And as has been promised since the beginning of the episode... (laughs) An hour ago. (laughs) An hour ago. Our topic for tonight, Mark, is uh, just a chat about the underrated stories of Doctor Who. Uh, Are we giving a definition to our listeners actually what an underrated episode is?
1: When you read these uh, DWM polls where they have the top 10 or top 20... And the bottom 10 or the bottom 20. There's a lot of good stuff in the middle. And um, a sort of an extension to Rob's appearance on the Blue Box podcast, where he talked about his comfort Doctor Who. We thought we might just take that a little bit step further and just talk about the stories that we think in that middle bunch are quite underrated and, and our thoughts around those.
0: And, and probably deserving of more attention
1: or respect. And love, maybe, as well. Maybe and love. Yes. So, Mark, do uh, you want to kick it off? Number five. My number five is the end of time. Only joking. Uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, my number five is actually, this might be a bit of a shock for you and maybe our three listeners, uh, Mind Warp.
0: Well, when I did see your list this afternoon when you sent me the running order, mm-hmm. I did almost fall off my chair at work. But uh, Again. having a think about it... Mm-hmm. Having a think about having had a think about it, i uh, sort of coming into your th- thought pattern there, Mark. Tell us why. Because it does have its detractors. Look, it does have its so.
1: detractors. And, and I must have been. I watched Trial of the Time Lot a couple of years ago on DVD, uh, sort of in one uh, one big stint over, over a couple of days. I realised that it sort of miraculously hangs together fairly coherently. And I know Mind Warp gets, as you said, uh, criticised for not being so coherent. It was a lot different from... The Mysterious Planet because Mysterious Planet is quite lightweight and Terror of the Vervoids is really lightweight. And I just think in that season it just sort of sticks out because it's trying to do something slightly different. Look, it's not particularly well directed by Ron Jones who's not the most ambitious director on the series. It, it just kept you guessing. And, you know, anything with Brian Blessed is good enough for me.
0: I would counter that by saying I think the only thing really wrong with Mind Warp is Brian Blessed. Oh, really? I... Had the privilege uh, over the Christmas break of watching uh, Flash Gordon. It was on TV, belly. wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was, making, oh, it was, it was fantastic. absolutely magnificent. I watched I watched part of it, and uh, I did. Uh, I was actually I was watching it mainly to see Brian Blessed, and he was fantastic in that. But that suited the pulpier, uh tone know, of Flash, that film. The pulpier tone of Flash Gordon, and deliberately so. I mean, he's, you know, it, the performance that he gives there is is exactly the same. As in mind warp, it's it's ast- it's astonishing that he didn't change it one iota. No, where, but where it works in the uh, in in Flash Gordon, it doesn't work in Doctor Who, and it doesn't work in this particular story because it just every time he appears, his bombast, his his, his shouting, his uh, you know, you just basically basically the uh, over the top nature of his performance takes you away or takes you out of the the sort of really serious tone that mind warp mind warp develops. Um, but I would agree with you. I think Mind Warp is underrated. I think that there's there's plenty there to offer, even aside from the fantastic ending where um, where Perry dies.
1: And X's socks off. Uh, that
0: 20 or 30 seconds, hmm. what were you doing for the last 18 months?
1: Uh, oh, it wasn't could, her uh, What were you asked it, to do for the last 18 months? It was the material she was given, because you look at her performance in K's. No, you're right, you're right. It's just the way, you know, unfortunately, the stuff she was given. And Crozier, um, what was the actor's name in that? Uh, was Patrick something. Oozes uh, evil, menace, and, you know, the way he t- <laughs> he's just sipping a cup of tea doing all these brain experiments. It's funny because he's sort of, um, he's in the same mold as the Rani. He's he's not
0: evil as such. I mean, well... He's just doing was, a job. En- I'm about to compare him to, Doc- to Dr. Mengler. Mengler was uh, evil, of course, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you'd asked Mengler, apart from his hatred of the Jews, he would have said that he was doing experiments, which I might say the Americans took up uh, after the war and used uh, to assist them with their uh, their uh, their space program, apparently. But that's by the by. Um, I've just traduced the American government. That's all right. Yeah, no, I agree. Mind Warp is, is fairly uh, underrated. And, and yes, there is. he's the sort of male Rani, um, Crozier.
2: Mm.
1: I think the whole saga about the, the making of that, of that series and, and the way that uh, Mr. Sayward stormed off and threw his toys out of the pram has sort of tainted it. I was just thinking, if I was, if I was going to be showing uh, a classic
0: season to my kids, I, I, you could, I mean, I might some people might accuse me of child abuse, but I, I could actually sort of put on Trial of a Time Lord for them. Because it, there's it, there's a lighter tone to it that from the previous season, and there's plenty of color and movement and interesting things going on, and I think they're sort of old enough now to sort of be able to cope with what happens to Perry at the end of Mind Warp. I don't know. There's just there's a there's a bit of there's a bit of fun and, and, and childlike uh, entertainment there in, in that particular season.
1: I think you may as well put on season 24 if you're looking for that. To, mm, to, to... I don't want to
0: scout no, See, that's when Child Services will break down the door. And- <laughs> Drag me kicking and screaming Away from my ah. beautiful, beautiful family So,
1: I think though uh, Season 24 would be uh, I suppose a better starting point Than, than season 23 mm. um, What about the cop out of Perry's death though Where the Walt Disney'd it And said "Oh, she's alive and living in Scunthorpe somewhere with uh, King Yukanos As a wrestling manager um,
0: Well mm. uh, Lost their bottle uh, Weren't hard enough uh, Blinked, blinked I think is the word I'm looking at Hmm. Yeah, I, look, I don't know. I mean, even the sort of the, the rosy tint to it, and the sheer impossibility, or hmm. you know, of her uh, sticking with Eucanos. Um, uh, no, but I mean it, that sort of leads to uh, the big, big finish audio uh, Perry and the um, Par- paradox, paradox,
1: something like that. Yeah, I heard yeah. that. That's quite good. That one. That's and quite that's
0: sort good. Of, it, it sort of yeah, no, that's very good, and it sort of pivots off, uh, off, off mind warp in a sense.
1: Yeah, but uh, Christopher hmm. Ryan and uh, Nabil Shaban's interplay. As and Kiv, uh, especially when they're sort of sitting together and just having a whinge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was me and you at that restaurant a couple of weeks ago.
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, Philip Martin having uh, sticking the knife into capitalism. I think. There. Yes,
1: yes. But mind warp. Give it another go. What about you, Rob? What's your number five?
0: Look, I'm going to go with um, a story I think is sort of overlooked uh, in its season. Um, it is it's overlooked for probably a, a couple of reasons. I'm going to go with Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Uh, it's it's my perception that the rudimentary nature of the dinosaur effects or props or whatever have tarred that story uh, to the mm. point where it's dismissed by a lot of people. Mm. Um, as always, whilst the visuals of Doctor Who may sometimes uh, or Classic Doctor Who may may let it down, uh, may let the side down occasionally or more than occasionally. The narrative or the storyline uh, always uh, makes makes for compelling viewing, and I think that the the, the uh, it's the, certainly the case with Invasion. There's, I mean, when you sit down and think about it, it's sort of emblematic of its uh, of its time. It, there's this sort of the environmental tone to it, and the uh, the, the, the distrust uh, for the government. You know, there's sort of it's a, it's a government military conspiracy going on in the background. And there's also this sort of, you know, this disillusionment with uh, with modern society, with those people volunteering to get on, jump on a spaceship and go light years away. Mm. I think I think Doctor Who, uh, well, the, the, this story anyway balances those competing ideas or complementary ideas, I suppose, with also an entertaining conspiracy and action story. Um, I, I think that uh, Perwez gets it comes in for a lot of stick. Uh, in well, not a lot of stick, but for for for, for claims that he's sort this sort of a level of disinterest in his performance in his last series, that he was probably looking for the exit, and uh, and, um, and 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 that affected his performance. But I think that if you were to go back and watch Invasion again, you've got uh, Pertwee uh, partnered up with uh, with Liz Sladen, and I think Sladen works really well with him as a companion. Um, she's not the sort of retiring Violet that uh, Joe Grant was. So she's more willing to stand up to Pertwee, um, and that always makes for something that's uh, entertaining to watch. And and I, I just think the themes and, and the acting, um, the the performances that are given, really, uh, really, um, really uh, make the story. And I, in, in some ways, it's probably the last best or good uh, unit story. Could I say that? Um, and it's a, and it's a really good performance by uh, Nick Courtney, and uh, the, the sort of uh, the the good relationship or the, the friendly relationship that he has with Pertwee shines through. I think in in, in the scenes that they share together. So I would say that um, Invasion of the Dinosaurs is a, is a, is an underrated story uh, that would be worth listeners uh, going back and having a look at again. And I would suggest don't watch it all in one hit, but space it out over a few days.
1: It's one of the less saggier uh, six-episode Pertwee's, isn't it? Really, plot holds together quite well. There's enough
0: plot going on, yeah, to keep it to interesting. sustain it. Where yeah. often wise the six-parters, uh, as you say, very saggy.
1: As Hello, Monster paldon I think Monster paldon I've always said is you can just tell when Pertwee is phoning in the performance on that he's ready to mm. go by then. I actually was going to put Invasion of the Dinosaurs on my list, but I know we've sort of talked about it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in previous podcasts, so I tried to do something a bit different. Just imagine if the DVD uh, had a CGI effects option on that particular disc; uh, it might have uh, reappealed to some people. Well, when I watched it a couple of, oh, last year, I think it was. Or the, yeah, last year, I think it was.
0: I, I found the um, the dinosaur effects charming more than anything else. I mean, you've just when you sit down and watch these things, you've got to understand that these are stories that are forty years old, forty years plus. And if you're not willing to give the production team You know, a level of credit for at least their efforts, then you're not not sitting down and watching the show with the right mindset. This is tea time viewing on a Saturday night for kids and their parents. Cheap and cheerful. Cheap and cheerful, and it's just a lot of fun. And if you can't sort of gently smile at what you're saying about the dinosaur effects, well, you're not really... What are you watching Doctor Who for, really? Especially classic Doctor
1: Who. Exactly. The effects aren't there to drive the plot. They're there to try and enhance it, and sometimes it works. Like, you Mm. know, Terror of the Zygons, you look at the effects on that... Uh, superb and sometimes nice. they don't work but you know what they had a crack
0: that's it that's it
1: the bbc's uh industrial tinsel and cardboard department <laughs> i mean god bless him. god bless No,
0: them. exactly and i mean these stories are, are memorable to us because now because they were memorable back then and you know the dinosaurs are part and parcel of uh, what i think you know makes um Makes Invasion of the Dinosaurs a, a
1: must-watch for any 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 newcomers to the series. Number four. What's your um, next uh, story, Mark? My number four is Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Ooh. A McCoy,
0: would you believe? I I no no I'd say that there's 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 a, a, plenty of uh, rewarding viewing in the McCoy era, but why what, why is Greatest Show underrated, mate?
1: Uh, it gets overlooked, I think, with the uh, brilliance of Remembrance and the sheer awfulness of Sylvan Nemesis mm. and. Uh, <laughs> Don't pull your punches, Mark, all right? Oh, wait, because it is bloody awful. Again, I watched this again on, on DVD when it came out in, in 5.1, and I absolutely loved it. I think because time had passed when... Uh, I hadn't watched it m- many times during the intervening years where the show was off, and I really sort of bypassed the McCoy era quite a lot because of just I just didn't enjoy it particularly uh, at the time. But, you know, I think as you get older and hopefully slightly more mature, you can um, pick up things in that show I didn't pick up at the time. It's amazingly well lit. Thank God they did find asbestos at the BBC because having it in a bloody tent it should have it should have been like that in the first place. The script actually held for a McCoy era script holds together quite nicely. The through line on some of them uh, don't work particularly well, but uh greater show for me. It's an impressive cast and in my opinion a very impressive story.
0: Only J and T had been as creatively um, clever as he was financially clever, we would have had more uh, atmosphere in, mm-hmm. in, during his, his tenure on the show, I think. I think the, the sort of... I mean, I suppose they're up against the unions in terms of the lighting and all that sort of thing and how it was done, but it's just a pity that, um, that there was... There's a level of creativity uh, in you know, during the 80s that, that's, that uh, you sort of... Is missing uh, compared to, say, the 70s or even the 60s. It's, I mean it's interesting the greater show I mean even at the time I remember reading reviews that um, there's a that people picked up on the sense that there's a meta narrative going on there that the the, the story is uh, is a reflection of the uh, of the audience watching it mm. and uh, and even you know the the youngsters or the hipsters today uh, who who sort of live in a post-modern ironic world of storytelling uh would could come to this story and actually you know pick it up straight away and I think they would uh, they would enjoy it at least on that level but it, it's it's one of those things, uh, one of those stories that is that's sort of rare in um, in 80s Doctor Who. It, it, it's creepy. It has that creepy sort of tone, and as you say, the lighting and the tent uh, cer- certainly uh, add to that or contribute to it. And, and, and the performance, especially of the ringmaster, yeah, uh, d- does um, does contribute uh, in that regard. So
1: the Whiz Kid was uh, you know allegedly J and T's crack at uh, and and Stephen White's crack at fandom, and mm. I remember the the small uproar at the time. But Love and Monsters, because that was really a show to having a go at fans as well. Mm. um, The response to that was equally as decisive, wasn't it, really? So maybe we just take ourselves too seriously. I thought it was quite funny, actually. Because that's exactly how I was when I was
0: that age. Well, that's true. That's true. Maybe um, I I loathe Love and Monsters. Um, You could flush it down the toilet and you'd be doing the world a service. But that's probably because I'm an adult now and probably a bit more po-faced than I probably need to be. Yeah, it's got a yellow in it. It does. It does. Who's the Who's the white-haired fellow? Who's the star? What's his uh, name? Mark Warren. He's uh, taken over from from Capaldi in uh, *The Musketeers* as uh, Cardinal Richelieu.
1: So it's the same character. Or same is
0: character. It? They've just he's he just regenerated. Uh, uh. As As we know, uh, Cardinal Richelieu was simply a Time Lord in service of the French uh, Kingdom. And uh I don't know, he fell off um, an altar and uh, regenerated <laughs> into uh, is it Mark Pope or
1: Mark Warren. it's the end of yeah, the moment's yes. being prepared for. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe yeah, it no, was tumultuous buffeting. <laughs> In the
0: confessional. Yeah. What about your number four? I have selected uh, Image of the Fendale. Yes. Image of the Fendal I love Image of the Fendale. I think uh I think it falls into the underrated category because it's it's sort of in that transition period between Hinchcliffe and uh, and Williams, and um, it, uh, it 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 misses some of the attention that it, it that it should get. I mean, I, I love it because um, as I, as I love horror, it, it horror of Rock, it, uh, it it has that sort of uh, that occult overtones. I mean, if you look at the story, it is it is uh, in as much as anything else, it is uh, it's science versus the occult. And it's that that's it's that intersection of those two areas that is sort of typical of 70s 70s television and 70s uh, and 70s horror movies I mean if you look at say something like the stone tape which is a suit, you know Nigel Niels mm. it I would urge people to go out if, if they like image of the Fender, I'll go watch the stone tape it's that it's that mixture of scientists and the occult science versus the occult and 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 sort of how people how, how it how it leaches into into our world there's a there's a there's a Quatermass feel to it again. You know, you can go back and watch Quatermass in the pit and gets much the same vibe as Image of the Fendale. There's a Lovecraftian feel. I mean, there's a there's a horror, a, an, an ageless and timeless horror from the beginning of, you know, the beginning of the dawn of time sort of thing and and uh, which sort of influences and impr- imprints itself uh, on, on, on the course of human evolution. And the realisation by, you know, some of the characters, uh, the fellow who, who commits suicide, that, you know... That humanity has been manipulated from 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 the, the the savannas of Africa, thanks to the Fendale, mm. That gives this story its own own stamp of horror that is sort of separate to anything else that the show the show has attempted. Um, the performances are really good. The atmosphere is excellent. Uh, Baker is in top form. And even though um, there there was sort of oh, I suppose at some point tension, between him and Jamison, I think at this point they'd sort of smoothed the waters and the As the story, you know, mirrors that conflict between science and the occult, there's the savage Leela who's more at home with this sort of thing, versus the Doctor who's, you know, working with with a scientific explanation. Hmm. Um, I I just think I mean I can go back and watch uh, Fendal, uh, you know, quite happily. If if I hadn't picked that for my, uh, you know, my Christmas comforter, um, uh, hadn't picked horror as my Christmas comforter, I would have picked Image of the Fendal. It's a really good story. The plot holds up really well. The performances are really good. It's just great. uh, four great episodes.
1: Absolutely. If you had Horror Fang Rock and it went straight to Image of the Fendal, you would think, I mean, the general public wouldn't have realised anyway, you would think there would have been no change in producer whatsoever. No. It's only because they put an invisible enemy in the middle of that. (laughs) Uh, There's a slight shift in tone and it's such a shame that you know Chris Boucher went off and you know, he did Blake 7 but after Blake 7 finished Eric Say was complaining about not getting a, a couldn't get the writers there was Chris Boucher sitting there doing god knows what twiddling his thumbs twiddling his thumbs
0: I mean I wonder I wonder what the sh- series would have looked like with, with Boucher as script editor that's an interesting thing
1: let's ponder that
0: um, Let's we'll, we'll table that for a future episode I think
1: let's get JR back on that one <laughs> I wonder, I wonder,
0: just picking up on your point about uh, Invisible Enemy, in the days before the magazine and in the days before the internet and in the days before anything, any sort of communication, <laughs> I, um, I, wonder, I wonder what fans at that time would have made of, you know, they've just seen, I think it was Talons, they had their break, they've come back. What was the first story for season 15?
1: Horror Fang Rock.
0: Horror, and then it was Invisible Enemy, yeah. and then it was Fendal. It,
1: it Fendal. I wonder what fans made of
0: that because you know horror of Fangrock, Oh, you know this is we've had this before. This is great, and then image and then Invisible Enemy. And go oh, hang on, and then <laughs> there's a prawn and it's talking, and then image of the Fendal. Oh, thank God we're back to we're back, we're back to, to normal. To, and back then, to normal.
1: What was after that? Was that Underworld? Oh, well, I'll Underworld. just turn around to my what? target book collection. Actually, no, it's Sun the Sunmakers. And then there's another whip
0: uh, whip uh, saw sort of uh, reaction there. I know I'm using the wrong word. Uh, but it it, it it's uh, fifteen years ago. This would have sounded right. It's quite schizophrenic that season, isn't it? Even though schizophrenic is the wrong. It is term. because
1: you've got Robert Holmes. Sort of, he's still there, but um, I think he's lost a bit of interest. He's just staying there just to help Graham Williams out, and he got then he got Anthony Reid coming in at the end. So, it's sort of it's a state of flux, and obviously Williams wants to do his own thing. Apparently, uh, he wanted to do a arc theme for uh, season fifteen initially. Yeah but realised he didn't have the time to right. um, get that off the ground, and so did so for season 16, which I love as well.
0: Brian hmm. Williams, is um, he's underrated, isn't he, a little he bit? He is
1: underrated. I mean, uh, you know, I've got some friends of mine don't watch any of his stuff because they reckon it's crap. A lot of it is not crap. A lot of it is very, very good, and I suppose you can just watch it and get different levels of enjoyment out of it. There's a positive in it in everything. Yes. Three. So my number three is Mind of Evil. Ooh. All right. Go on. The last gasp of season seven, Pertwee. Yes. Before it all got uh, cosy, it's one of those stories that you know you could tack on the end of season seven and you would not blink an eye.
0: No, that's apart crazy, from it?
1: apart from Joe in there, but you know if you put Liz Shaw in there, it would have been even better. Mm. Again, it's had a, another reappraisal. The fact that it's just come out on again on DVD and in full colour for the first time in how many years. Um, You know, when the Doctor's being um, traumatised by the machine, you've got a pre-JNT flashback sequence with the Zabi, uh, a war machine, and uh, Coquilion from the rescue. Mm. Uh, And the fact that the Keller machine just moves around towards the end by itself. Mm. You don't know where the hell that bugger's going to turn up. So there's actually quite a lot of tension that's uh, building up around that and the music uh, deadly Dudley Simpsons music there is uh, particularly effective so yes it's uh again one of the gallery of the underrated for me in the, in the that story
0: and it's it's a bit like uh, day of the Daleks in insofar as it sort of reflects the Cold War tensions at the time doesn't it it does yes and there's there's that bondy and feel I suppose to the whole setup there's a there's a certain 60s bond feel to it isn't there
1: is this the uh, the pertwe version of the interview yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yes, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> no, no, but I just love how people go. It's the first instance of Doctor Who having subtitles. Um, uh, who gives, yes. he gives a monkeys? Half the Mega dragons in there. And the Brigadier shoots someone down in cold blood. Effectively, doesn't he? Uh, glad to see you too, Doctor.
0: Yeah, it is. As we said before, it it is that last gasp of that sort of harder edged unit from Series Seven. Yeah. Um whilst I understand the appeal, the sort of you know fans looking back they they sort of love that unit family feel uh, from season eight onwards. Uh, I personally regret that they they went down that road or that far down that road mm. um, uh, I would like have liked something a little bit more harder edged, I suppose. I mean and it's this and it's from this point onwards that the brigadier becomes increasingly sh- stupid to the point where, in the three doctors, he's basically denying the evidence in front of his own eyes. Yeah, buffoon. Um, yeah, which is, uh, it's I suppose it's the Colonel Blimp sort of thing uh, archetype. But uh, it's 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 uh, it's unfortunate that um, mm. this was that last gasp. I mean, there's 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 other good unit stories, but uh, I think this is sort of the, the the last hurrah for that sort of great unit story.
1: And every time Earth tries to do a peace conference, it gets. Uh, scuppered somehow either by the you know the machine and the Master the first attempt and the Daleks and Day of the Daleks as well and they put that down on my list as well Day of the Daleks you think that's underrated? yeah I do yes uh yeah I love uh, Day of the Daleks as well uh some great direction Timothy Coombe the fight scenes are pretty good. If I had to choose this between this and this and Ambassadors, I definitely go for this because it's six episodes. It's probably the right the right length. Maybe it could have been reduced to a, a tighter four parter. But um, yeah, Ambassadors it does sag a little bit. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I like it.
0: I think a lot of six six episodes could be uh, cut down to four. If you look at losing. yeah,
1: if you look at them now, you could probably uh, re- do. A, is it? I wonder if anybody's done a fan edit of uh, six episodes down to four and. Yeah. Like a fan of menace. Possibly, there are yeah.
0: people are out there who would do it, except for the seeds of doom, which is is magnificent at six episodes. Yes, yes, yes. that's definitely not underrated. Did
1: I get high um, polling in the last DWM? Seeds. I, yeah. Uh, I thought it'd be
0: it, top ten, surely. If not, I want I want I want those numbers. I want the votes counted again. I want a recount.
1: While you're talking about your number three. I'll dig up that DWM 50th and see how we go.
0: I was wrestling today with uh, two stories uh, from the same season. Uh, they're both Davison stories. I, I, I first thought I, I was going to go with Mordron Undead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, simply because of the impact of the visual uh, or the visuals, I went with Enlightenment. Oh, yes. That is a story that I think has been sort of left by the wayside um, uh, by a lot of, a lot of fans. I think that it's it's it is visually rich or lush. Certainly, Linda Barron's cleavage is very lush. Yes, um, <laughs> <Miss> Gladys. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think I think in, in a in a decade that some some people regard as being creatively stunted, I think that the uh, certainly the the build up to the cliffhanger in season uh, in episode one hmm. is. Probably one of the the best sleight of hands the series has ever uh, ever has ever undertaken. Mm. Uh, that, that that visual at the end when they realise that they're actually out in space uh, is, is 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 truly wonderful. I, as I said before, I think production wise, the episode really um, really strikes a, a, a high note. That uh, there's the banquet scene from memory. Um, which it looks really, particularly looks really wonderful, and you have uh, Janet Fielding uh, dressed up, you know, in in the gown and all that sort of thing, and yeah. and, and of course Linda Baron, of course, and all and all that. But uh, it, it looks, you know, sumptuous and, and on, on a pretty strict budget. It uh, visually, it's it's a really good episode. I think there's the the, the higher the the meta narrative going on there. There's the um, the, the Eternals, um, you know, combating against each other in the, in this this race through uh, through space, which. Um, is is, very, is a very interesting uh, angle to take uh, again these um these uh these creations these beings who in in and of themselves are uh, uh, lack material bodies and, and like lack, lack emotions sort of coming down and uh, to, to our level and uh and uh engaging in in emotional pursuits and anger and and, and lust and, and and that sort of thing and competition um, I think it, I think it rewards on that level as well but I mean overall in, in a in a in a season that um, Sort of uh, was a backdoor twentieth anniversary uh, episode or celebration. Uh, I think uh, Enlightenment is underrated. I think that it is uh, a well-written, well-acted uh, acted episode or story, and I th- I think uh, it, it's something different for the, the show. It, it's a sort of different tone to the to the to the show that it very sort of rarely uh, entered into, and I think. Uh, the the crisis that was that sort of gripped Turlo and you know they the, had to kill kill the Doctor and and the end at the moment where you know the, the decision to accept or spurn enlightenment uh, is is a is a sort of a, a pivotal moment and so I think it echoes the last episode of Armageddon Factor where the Doctor is sort of you know he 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 uh, he Fires could way, you know yeah. own the key to time himself yeah. where you know and Enlightenment is on offer here, similarly. So mm. there's a there's a similar echoing feel there as well. And I I mean I just I think it's a really well told tight little story. And um, I think it I think if people were to watch it now, they would be pleasantly surprised by it.
1: When the news came through that Fiona Cumming died, I was uh, I thought oh I wasn't watching one of her Doctor Who's, and the one I would have gone for if I had the time to actually sit down and watch it would have been uh, Enlightenment. The guy who played uh, Mariner, he was particularly uh, spooky uh, in that show. Christopher Brown, I think his name was. Yeah, uh, how he was sort of uh, almost stalking uh, Tegan in a sense, wasn't he mm. on the internals? Yeah, there, there mm. is that
0: sort of. There's an undercurrent there, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's. I mean, on the one level, you can sort of say that there's a sexual undercurrent, of course. I mean, he's, there's a man interested in a woman, but there, there's on the on the sort of higher level, there's a this godlike being. Mm trying to comprehend this bundle of emotions this mortal with these 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 emotions and um i suppose that's as far as the series could go in in that time slot back in the 80s but um i suppose if they did it today it would be a bit more it be more overt and probably a bit more ham-fisted as well they'd they'd, they'd sort of you know make it glaringly obvious what it is and and the companion that the the, the human companion would find themselves uh in a position with them yeah and and they'd be teaching them you know the 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 nature of human emotions and uh you know that sort of thing but i I think sometimes the lighter touch works and and you're right it does there is that aspect to it uh, in enlightenment
1: season 20 is a season for the most part of mediocrity uh, it starts off with uh, dull arc of infinity Ooh. starts to rise up with uh, snake dance and uh, mordron terminus again is a great idea but just flat as uh, this and then this strikes up and then you have another flat uh, unofficial season uh, Ender with the uh, king's demon so um, snake dance mordron and alignment are certainly the picks of that season for me
0: it's a very oddly paced way to do it, to end a season with a two ep- two-parter.
1: Well, it wasn't supposed to. Was it was supposed to end up with a res- uh, Resurrection. Oh, yes. That's right. Uh, or, or, as it was called then, uh, The Return. But um, a BBC strike and a fallout over a uh, lunch date. Um, date.
0: <laughs> very much. Number two. All right, Mark. So that was
1: my uh, number three. What's your um, uh, number two? My number two is The Pirate Planet. Ooh. again going back to Mr. Fibula Mr. Fibula is it Mr. Fibulae? yes uh, mm, we'll yeah. go with that yeah we'll go with that Douglas Adams when he was uh, I mean look there are parallels between Pirate Planet and, and Hitchhiker mainly because they're writing both at the same time but when he uh, was I suppose being held in tight reign with, uh, with uh, Anthony Reed's uh, script editing I think this this story is certainly um, has a lot of ideas and the execution on most of them does pay off um, the, the key to Time Series is... I think the whole thing is underrated to a point. Yeah, some really great ideas in there. And Tom Baker, I think... You know, you mentioned before with uh, Image, he's still quite dark. And I think, you know, in season 16... He was starting mm. to loosen the brake a bit on the comedy aspect. But still was... He could still do the dramatic turn. So when he's he's losing his rag with the, with the pirate captain... And saying, appreciate it, appreciate it. He could still turn it on a dime and still give you the drama... Where you know season mm. 17, basically the handbrake had failed, and it's it's the car's going towards a, a deep ravine with no way mm. of
0: stopping it. Do you think that if, if Baker was in those later years was given a decent script, he he would he would rise to it, say like in city of death, but if he was given something that he didn't think was up to much snuff, he would just you know like say uh, the uh, nightmare of Eden. He would just go bonkers.
1: Again, it came down to who was controlling him. In you know, from a, a director point of view. So if you look at Tom Baker mm. in season seventeen and eighteen, completely different. And I know you know we say some of the funds, but a lot of the funds been stripped out of season eighteen, and probably Tom's not enjoying himself as much. But a part of that is because he's been told, calm it down. They're reining him in, mm. and he's obviously. Quite surly towards it, but I think his performance in season 18 is as good as anything in season 12, 13, and 14.
0: It must be daunting, it must be daunting uh, directing a television.
1: With Tom Baker, yes. At the height of his powers, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: A lot of plates spinning in the air that you have to sort of coordinate. It's interesting. Interesting.
1: I and mean, plus, canon has a fight in it with the parrot. How good's that?
0: Well, Robots fighting robots. You can't... I mean, it, it, it predates Robot Wars by, what, 30 years? So, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's prescient in that regard. Pirate Planet
1: is uh, one, of the, one of the jewels in the uh, Key to Time crown. Hmm. Mm. Lovely. What about yours? What's your number two? Yeah, I'm tethering on a bit of a thing here. I'm, I'm going to go with
0: Mark of the Rani. Oh. Uh, I know. People... They, 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 I can hear the pitchforks being uh, fired up as we speak. I'm only, Look, I'm going to go with Mark of the Ronnie In a season, season 22, in a season uh, uh, that is marked with so much excess, an excess of food, an excess of violence. Colour. And <laughs> colour and movement, an excess of uh, lush, over-the-top characters, an excess of...
1: <laughs> Hair gel. An
0: excess of <laughs> scripting, of perming, uh, shoulder pads, uh, licking blood off the ground... Uh, butchering people in a Spanish uh, villa. Mark of the Rani is a remarkable exercise in restraint.
1: Yes, and a doctor who's been doctorish. Well, exactly
0: right. For that alone, for its ability to hark back to earlier, more placid Doctor Who storytelling, I think Mark of the Rani is um, underrated. I think that one. I mean, one of the hallmarks of the story. One of the one of the things that really did differently was, of course, uh, the Rani. I mean, we mentioned before that she's a a dispassionate, a amoral uh, uh, scientist who's more interested in the experiment than than, than the test subjects. Um, but you know, you can say that about a lot of doctors who are injecting shampoo into rabbits' eyes. Mm. Hello. <laughs> um, I think I think that's a, that's an interesting creation there that, that 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 sets this story apart. I mean all through season 22 you have your mad sexually repressed uh um you know villains lusting. who who are lusting after perry and it, as we all were um, as we all were but it makes for a great change and a welcome change and a, a refreshing change mm. to have someone who doesn't care about perry to be to be honest mm. um and is uh, it, the setting uh is prosaic it's uh, it's rural it's relaxing the doctor, as you say, is in a more doctorish tone. There's there's a sort of a more relaxed atmosphere. Whether it was being out on location that, it, that sort of I don't know contributed to that. I'm not quite sure. But um, there's uh, look, it's sometimes it feels a little bit laboured. The 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 master is definitely very much a fifth wheel. Uh, I think it's just J and T fulfilling contractual obligations. But overall, I think uh, Michael the Rani is is a bit of fun, a bit of fluff. It fulfills a bit of an edu- educational remit that the show had forgotten or left behind decades before. Mm. Um, and um, I think even though there are stories in season 22 that I like more, hello, Revelation, um, Vengeance, um, I think that uh, of all the Colin Baker stories, this is the one you could show to a fan and they wouldn't immediately switch it off to a new series fan. Mm. Because because I think that um, the Doctor is approachable in this the, uh, the the setting is not your sort of you know your archetypical space station or futuristic planet. It's something that's relatable. Everyone's watched a BBC costume drama. Everyone's seen Downton Abbey, for instance. Um, and uh, I think it's something that you can relate to more readily than say um, cannibalistic aliens running around
1: Spain. <laughs> when you put it like that, yes. When you put it like yeah. that, yeah. You know, I uh, when you mentioned Mark of the Rani it was my first initial it was oh, really, but. Yes, I think if you compare it in that season, it does stick out in a sore thumb. As you said, nobody's lusting after Perry. The story is quite coherent. Uh, The setting is great. The music's actually really evocative as well. And, you know, Colin Baker's doing What I think he wants to do with the character, as opposed to being dictated to what he is uh, being told to do. The thing that stick out for Marco Devani for me was the doc was walking along, and his little kid's walking up towards him, and he just pats the little girl on the head, not like a there there sort of thing, but like a, you know, hi, how are you? And he he beams and smiles. And those little things to me, it's like you can see the. uh, I suppose he almost. Human side of him still in there, as opposed to being most of the time being the arrogant son of a gun.
0: A buffoon, or a bully. I'm not a bully, bully's a bit harsh, but... No, he's just... Opinionated, sure of himself. Cock shore, I think, is the word that we could use.
1: Paul, he's, he's trying to do the same thing, yeah. but the different styles of acting, I think... Uh, and expectations, too, as well. a, pl- a poles apart, that's right, yeah. that's right. No, exactly. But, uh, it's funny, because Mark of the Rani, um, remember the 1992 two repeat series on BBC2 where it had like Time Meddler Mind uh, Mind Robber and all that sort of stuff. Apparently uh, Mark of the Rani was originally proposed as the uh, the uh, Colin Baker entry, um, but apparently Mr Levine told somebody, no, don't put that on, put Revelation on instead. It's better. But I actually think Mark of the Rani would have been the ideal choice. As you said, it's it's a better jumping on point for that uh, the Sixth Doctor. If He'll think I oh, he was really crap, blah blah blah. Chuck on that and I think uh, people's uh, opinions might change. Well, the general public, anyway.
0: Yes, I think so. But, um, yeah, Mark of the Rani, I, I like it. Number
1: one. Whoa,
0: number one with a bullet. Bring it on. Number one with a bullet.
1: Um, the Awakening. Ooh. Well, that's controversial. The Neglected Gem of the uh, Peter Davison era. A story where Sayward's rewriting uh, gets it right. I watched it the other day and uh, to prepare for the podcast. And I noticed that the direction was I keep going on about the the mediocre mediocre direction in a majority of the Colin Baker and Peter at years. And when we're talking about standout direction, we always go for the Grimwades, the Harpers, and and the Fiona Cummings. But Michael Morris Owen, I think his name was, the the director, and that's his first go, first crack at it, uh, was really quite uh, tight. And uh, for a 2 part it gave quite a lot of pace. The whole grandfather, visiting my grandfather's subplot, that could have been completely removed out of it. It's superfluous. Uh, just another reason to get uh, Turla locked away again. And uh, as I mentioned before, the, the way the Davison character, uh, the Doctor, interacts with the older lady, i.e., uh, you know, uh, Todd from Kinder or uh, Polly James, who played uh, Jane Hampton, I think uh, the character's name was, they work fantastic together. Mm. And it's like, oh, I wish you could bugger off Tegan and keep her on. <laughs> Uh, for, for the rest of the run because um, I think that younger, older uh, interplay works really well and I think you had a young doctor and two young companions there's too many uh, too many young people and kids aboard the Titus at that at that time. That's that
0: sort of dynamic you see that in Kinder. I think is it is it Professor or Doctor Todd the the female doctor Yes, there? that's right. Yeah, yeah. That that, work, that also works very Beautifully. well. Beautifully, that sort of dynamic between the two. Yes, between the doctor and her.
1: Exactly right. Paradise is a little bit too green for me. Really enjoyable stuff, and I think you know if you look at season twenty one, I think that is the the, the peak of Eric saywood's uh, tenure as script editor in terms of the stories he's presenting. Uh, look, I don't, I don't go on about, <laughs> I don't include Warriors of the Deep, or Twin Dilemma, uh, at, at those bookends or, at that season, but certainly the stuff in the middle um, is there's some good stuff in there.
0: I think those that middle run of episodes in, in season 21, are really, I mean, Planet of Fire mm. has a lot of merit, mm. Frontios. I would like to include Frontios in my list, but, um, uh, and if this list had been one uh, story longer, I certainly would have. Mm. Uh, Resurrection has some merit to it. Uh, caves, of course,
1: uh, gold standard for Doctor Who. Um, yeah, yes. So that was my uh, Number one entry At 50 minutes It does not stay It's welcome I think it would have uh, Laboured under four episodes Uh, Mm, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind Actually going back And reading the novel again Actually Eric Pringle Yeah Eric Pringle Yes Uh... So I knew that I knew that
0: Don't ask me to name The the fourth uh, The author of the Fourth BBC Book released Fifteen years ago, I got no idea. Ten years ago, yeah, I had
1: to laugh. I was, I, I, reread some of the uh, chapters in the JNT biography. It's like a car crash that book. But <laughs> there was a line, there's a couple of paragraphs in there saying that's Eric Pringle, the author of The Wake, and he had photocopied the DWM review and highlighted it, and uh, Eric Sayward then took it into uh, JNT and said, see, the wrong Eric got the credit. <laughs>
0: Actually, Milk uh, uh, Books Publishing uh, released a, a photo of the cover of the new. Um, speaking of the J and T book and Richard Marsden, they uh, released a, the cover for the Verity Lambert biography that um, that Marsden has just handed in for obviously uh, f- further work on. Um,
1: oh, fantastic! I look forward to that.
0: But look, find Milk on your uh, Twitter feed, and you'll you'll see the. Um, it's a it's a striking cover? Striking black and white cover of Verity, uh, my old friend Verity. Um, yeah, so yes, so they've got. Uh, I mean, J&T, the bio caused a splash, and uh, I think this will cause a splash uh, for for different reasons. In a good so, way. Yeah, in a good way. Looking forward very much to that because we've gone completely off tangent here. Uh, Lambert, uh, in a way, maybe also an un, uh, an underrated producer, given I mean the distance and in, t- in time uh, doesn't help her legacy, but um, no. And in terms of her work outside Dr. Who, she's very much a groundbreaking uh, producer.
1: The book is called Drama and Delights, The Life of Verity Lambert. Uh, Hardback available 16th of March and paperback is available 27th of April.
0: 16th of March? Jeez. That's a quick turnaround. I suppose if Marsden's produced a fairly clean uh, uh, copy copy-edit, um, and they, they won't have to do too much work for it I don't it. think They're the
1: good. tabloids would be handing uh, over forty thousand pounds worth of cash to try and get an early edition of it well, I thought it
0: was like 80 thousand pounds they were after for the J&T book really the mirror it was a it was a sensationally large amount of money just on that topic mark Marzen and and the, the fellow the, the general the person who runs milk have confirmed that they were offered big dollars mm. or big pounds mm.
1: if you're in their position what would you have done do I have, do the have right? artistic
0: do I have the right...
1: I've got the wires ready to go. Um, <laughs> the, the pressure
0: of my thumb on the center button of this email.
1: I'd sell it. The cash... <laughs> the cash would be too tempting. I £80,000... That's yeah. a fair whack of cash. Um, I mean, you,
0: you would be um, you would be held uh, in contempt by a great number of fans.
1: Oh, I really couldn't care for that much money. It is a lot. Of I'm money, held in it? contempt anyway, so it doesn't make much difference to me.
0: <laughs> this podcast is loved, Mark. Okay, I want you to go to bed tonight and just know that this podcast
1: is loved. Uh, have you seen the figures for our last podcast? The doctor of uh, distress special uh, <laughs> did not. No love for that. Actually, I'm surprised they've got as much love as it did,
0: personally. <laughs> Our unique brand of humour has shone through yet again, Mark.
1: Yes, uh, we've got yes. some more commentaries coming up, hopefully. <laughs> 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 mm. Anyway, so, yeah, very labour book. Uh, also, the Anthony only book is coming out soon as well. Anyway, moving on, what is uh, your number one well, you see, uh, like uh,
0: Schrödinger's cat, my list is in a state of flux. It may be dead or it may not be. I'm not entirely sure. We're just waiting for the gas to be released. Um, I mean, I'm like,
1: okay. Uh, I'm just getting pictures uh, of Garfield. But anyway,
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I, as I said before, I had Frontios which was jostling for position. Mm-hmm. Uh, Planet of Evil. Um, I, I it was in there. I was even going to go with Tomb of the Cybermen because uh, prior to its recovery back in 1991 or 2, it was loved and since then it's fallen by the wayside a little. But I'm going to go with something um, that is underrated simply because of its impact on the show and and also its setting and the fact that we haven't actually gone with a Black and White story at all, I think. Mm. Um, I'm going to go with The War Machines. Yeah. Not necessarily the greatest heart and no. ever. no. And not necessarily the greatest story ever. But I, I appreciate it for a couple of things, and uh, I think it's well worth revisiting. I think it sets it very much sets the template for the obviously the base under siege, but also it, it echoes forward into the into into unit. I think you you've got you know a uh, a modern a modern day setting, uh, base under siege. You've got uh, so some sort of infiltration uh, into the into the everyday by this sort of uh, very. Um, Extraordinary computer Wotan, and you have the Doctor coming into the into the mix and um, and 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 putting his stamp on it. And not only that, uh, and it's very, it's 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 odd to see the Doctor in a you know then modern story. I think uh, apart from perhaps uh, Dalek's Master Plan for a scene or two, is this the first story that? Um the Doctor has landed back on modern-day Earth. Yes, I think Anna it is. Since yes, yes, the
1: contemporary Earth,
0: yes. Yeah, so, I mean, for that, it, it is striking in and of itself. And even if the production... The second point uh, is, I'm always fascinated by looking at old TV series and how uh, they depict the era in which they're set. So I've been watching some Department S uh, stories from the 1970s, I think, some colour stuff. And it's always interesting to see the technology of the time and, and, and the sort of gender relationships and, and, and the sort of the storytelling that's, that's told there. And similarly with, um, with uh, the war machines, it's interesting to see how the production team saw swinging 60s London. I think it's... The, is it the Inferno Club and, uh, and, uh, and Polly and, and Ben and all that sort of thing? So I think in terms of a time capsule or a look back or a window on, onto the 60s, I think the war machines in that regard is makes for fascinating viewing mm. uh, especially and again its use of um its use of a modern day feature of a, 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 something that was striking at that point the post office tower this this you know this this something that wouldn't had never been on the, sky, the, the 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 London skyline before uh, I think they were very clever the production team were very clever to marry that new shining technology with uh, a doctor Who story so there's that There's that bright future ahead of us but there's also that sort of there's that that undercurrent of menace of you know unease about what the future might bring and 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 wotan sort of represents that unease that you know there are these computers these increasingly powerful computers uh what do they represent for the future for 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 humanity and of course doctor who takes that big step forward and says well you know wotan gains sentience and sort of comes after everyone but uh, it, it's just a, it's, I think it's just an interesting uh, examination of the period. And also, uh, it, as I said before, it, it echoes forward into the, the, the Troughton era and more especially into the, uh, into the Pertwee era.
1: And poor old Dodo didn't get a leaving scene. Well, it's uh, groundbreaking that way. <laughs> Dead as a Dodo.
0: Yeah, I mean, in in a story like that, Dodo feels really um, out of place, doesn't she? For some reason. Well, she was, and then she's moved out of place into the country to recover. Yes, well, and then if you watched, uh, if you read the book "Who Killed Kennedy," uh, it just gets really dark. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you read "The Man in the Velvet Mask," it even gets darker, darker yes.
1: than that. <laughs> a woman being uh, killed by two uh, uh, diseases of a. Uh, uh yes. nature uh, all i can say is a penicillin
0: and a and a topical ointment would have fixed that right up
1: yes actually there's another uh, horrible history it's 30 years ago since uh ian Levine. Is it 30 it was 84 85 they were returned to the uk 84 wasn't it yeah. 84 yeah. that
0: they came back from nigeria and, it, and but that just brings us to the omni rumor no i'm just joking. Oh. i'm just joking.
1: <laughs> isn't it
0: 736 days to go till something's released the end of my 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 <laughs> prediction people my prediction is the January, uh, January, December 31, 2016. By that date, we will know the fate of the Omni rumour. That is my prediction to you. Bollocks. Well, that is the most underrated rumour this year. That's all I can say.
1: Yes. So the War Machines, Mark, the War Machines, underrated and worthy of your attention. I remember when that came out on VHS. I was uh, on hold in the UK at the time and I bought well, three or four copies to uh, send over back to uh, various friends. Who are probably listening to this podcast? And did you charge him a premium? Mark? Oh no, I never did that. But uh, I was watching it uh, with my uh, at my grandparents' house, and my nana just turns around to me and she goes, "That's when Doctor Who was decent." And I said, Nan, it's not on anymore." She goes, "That's right." <laughs> 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 uh,
0: uh, your nan, your nan's a smart woman. Yeah,
1: God bless her. So that's it, isn't it, really, Rob? That's a uh, gallery of the underrated, you'd say. It is mm. done, uh, done
0: well, I would say, as well.
1: Now, we asked uh, some listeners for their underrated stories, and uh, the AOL faithful David Kitchen has responded. This is his uh, top five underrated stories. Uh, the Rescue, a forgotten two-parter that is very well-written, great characters slash baddie, and Hartnell at his best being comic, touching, deadly serious... And Commanding, number 2 is The Chase, not as bad as its reputation. It has some weak points for sure, but a lot of great aspects, especially in the second half. Yeah, I think The Chase was like episode 1 and 4, 5 and 6 would be a lot better. Colony in Space, yes it's slow, but the characters are three-dimensional and it creates a neat image of future society uh, added by the novel. Yes, I agree, it's a great novel that one. The Sunmakers. Forgotten in the change over between Hinchcliffe and Williams, a well-written gem of a story. Uh, Happiness Patrol, a great set of villains in Hell and A, and the Candyman, lovely set pieces, amazing cast, looks good, and probably McCoy at his best without all the Dark Doctor bollocks. Have you got one there?
0: Uh, Richard uh, from Melbourne writes, uh, wrote in a a list as well. Uh, At the top of his list is Mask of uh, Mandragora.
1: Mandragora, is it? God damn it. This is like a a reboss riboss. It is, isn't it?
0: Uh, Mask of uh, Mandragora? No, is it Mandragora? I
1: always say Mandragora.
0: Mask of Mandragora. Uh, Tom and Liz are in great form, the supporting cast are strong, and Port Merion is a great backdrop. It suffers from the Hinchcliffe last episode syndrome and isn't a near classic, but it's a solid story and a good season opener.
1: Have you been to uh, Port Merion, Mark? I have, actually, uh, a number of times, yes. It's in Wales, isn't it? It's in North Wales, yes. Um, Last time I went there, I got myself a map. Of the uh, a prisoner map of the because obviously the old the original TV show was filmed there, not the appalling American remake, but uh, the original was far superior.
0: Is Big Finish doing a prisoner um, audio series? Uh,
1: what aren't they doing an audio series of? Uh,
0: Richard's uh, second uh, story is Image of the Fendahl. Uh, thank you very much for backing me up there, Richard. Uh, he writes this one's probably not underrated, um, and uh, Sue uh, from the Wife in Space blog gave it a two out of ten. But uh, Richard regards it as being much better than that. Uh, Frontios, one that probably gets overlooked among the rest of the season, which is a shame, as it's a good story. Uh, he imagines that, that it's one that could be done really well now. Time Lash, controversy. Uh, Paul Darrow! Uh, exclamation mark! I don't think the first episode is that bad. Mm. Uh, Richard writes. Mm. Um, Yes, all right, Time Lash. Uh, And then Survival. A good solid end to the series and a good story in its own right. Just don't mention the motorbike jousting.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: I might have to go back and watch Time Lash again. (laughs) I've got a lot of time for Paul Darrow. If you've listened to those Keldor City uh, audios, Mm. he's fantastic in those. Maybe less so in Time Lash, but
1: he's fantastic. I love him. Oh, look, he is the best singer out of Time Lash.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: He obviously, he thinks he's Richard III all the way through. Yeah, I think it's how he's playing it, but uh, yeah. He... Well, why not? Yeah. Imagine Paul Darrow and Brian Blessed in the one story. Uh, this this TV is not big enough for the both of them. They call them. it Hamburger Hill. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. Now we've got a. Uh, so thank you to those two gents for their uh, their uh, their uh, feedback to us. Not feedback, but their their thoughts. Now Alex uh, Rowan via Facebook. Hello, Alex. Um, he writes completely uh, off topic here. The reason I'm peed off is the way you say reboss. Sincerely, <laughs> Alex. Have I pronounced it right again? I don't think it'll be uh,
1: Pete off, riboss, reboss. Ah, oh. Okay, let me read that again. Yeah. The reason I'm peed off yeah. is the way you say riboss. I think he is uh, channeling a certain letter that was sent to the BBC, uh, uh, to Barry Letts after Green Death went out when I think Pertwee said uh, the, the shell of the maggot was kitten."
0: Oh, Chitinous versus
1: Cartinus? Yeah, the f- reason I'm I'm written is to say something. Yeah, <laughs> chitin. Okay. Along those lines, anyway. Well, I, I'm sure
0: it, the similar controversy for a new series is metabolus versus a metabolus.
1: Wasn't the Sharon a fan?
0: Is that well? That's that's been alleged.
1: ADR. It's not hard.
0: I think there was a reason I heard why they didn't go back and do that. I don't know what it was, but couldn't uh, be let's asked. Move on. Now, we have other letters, Mark, uh, in response to our uh, previous, uh, not our Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve podcast, but our... Um, actually, no, both of them are Christmas and our New Year's Eve uh, podcasts. Captain Hawkins writes, Hello, 42 to Doomsday, a Happy New Year to both of you, and a Happy New Year to uh, Captain H. Really enjoyed the holiday season podcasts, although I don't think you even mentioned k and company in discussing the Christmas episodes. Mm. I know it didn't screen on Christmas Day, although it did screen on Christmas Eve here in Australia in 1984. But I think it was meant to, as a Christmas special, wasn't it? Quality-wise, it's probably on par with the Christmas episodes that we've had in the last nine years. Although, who with a soul couldn't love the heartwarming side of canine singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas?
1: It was better than K9 singing. Canine. I completely forgot about canine and company, uh, for obvious reasons, because it's crap. The only abiding memory I
0: have of canine and company is watching the credits, oh, the yeah. opening credits. Oh, yes. Oh, it's... Uh... Um, Omg, as the young people say. Omg.
1: So you can understand why I didn't go to a full series, can't you? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it, um, mm. yeah. Is
0: that a was that um, uh, the song or the music written by Levine?
1: It was, and uh, his songwriting partner, uh, trenchcoat. Hmm.
0: Betting um, double snake eyes there, I think. Ian's defence. You're leaping to Ian's defence. Hello, Ian. If you're listening, we hope you are feeling better. He
1: did have orchestral plans for that particular theme. He wanted it like uh, remember the TV show Heart to Heart, all full swelling orchestral. And I loved Heart to Heart. I used to love that show. Wasn't name, Tiffany? It was mm. a chick who played uh, Mrs. Heart.
0: Uh, don't know. Yeah. But then I don't know who the bloke was who played the Mister. That Heart.
1: was Robert uh, Wagner, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. He
0: was in uh, the Gold, uh, not the Goldfinger. The yes. Uh,
1: uh, Austin, Austin Powers, Powers yes, uh, Austin right. yes. yes, oh, movie oh, Yes I had a thing for his uh, Mrs. Hart But anyway mm, mm. It's like the
0: scarecrow on Mrs. Hart King <laughs> Scarecrow Mrs. King Yes Bruce Boxleitner Was the scarecrow Wasn't he He was actually Yes We've gone right off topic there Now let's move on Captain Hawkins continues uh, Not a particularly big fan Of any of the new Who Christmas episodes As you say A Christmas Carol Will be the pick of them And I'd probably rate The Doctor The Widow And The Wardrobe As the worst although Voyage of the Damned would be a definite contender. Mm. The next Doctor was okay, at least until Dervila Kerwin turns up. The rest are just kind of there. How would you compare the Who specials to the steaming pile (laughs) that is the Star Wars Holiday Special?
1: The Star Wars Holiday Special did have Carrie Fisher singing at the end of that particular special, Uh, if my memory serves me right. Um, Carrie Fisher is not as good a singer as uh, what's Catherine Jenkins in A Christmas Carol, that's for sure right Mm. this is
0: true I've never seen the Star Wars Holiday Special I've heard so so much about it but uh, I can't I can't really comment on that it did. I did. It did get a good review, the Star Wars Holiday Special, from the LA Times. I think so.
1: Obviously, being paid a lot of money. Uh, well,
0: it was out in Hollywood, so yeah. I, mean yeah. I
1: think so, Lucas yes. has definitely uh, tried to uh, employ Pamela Nash to burn that particular tape, but hasn't <laughs> been uh,
0: overly successful. Let's get the Indiana Jones of missing Doctor Who onto that one.
1: No, I remember watching that. I think they repeated it, eighty two, eighty three, here on a Sunday afternoon and Commercial television, it was on was it? channel 10 it was and uh, i have made uh, flashes of memory of that i just remember princess Leah singing at the end and a friend of mine had a copy of it a couple of years ago and i said oh, give me a look and uh when it had like be arthur as marla i i Whoa. said i can't watch this <laughs> <laughs> it's like going through end of time again i just can't do it i just can't I do it i'm so
0: it. so so sorry
1: i don't want to go all
0: right captain hawkins continues Doctor in Distress is really bad, however, I think it's one that fandom has built up, as I doubt anyone at our classic uh, Doctor Who fandom would remember it or even know what it was. Didn't Ian Levine say he had crates of the single sitting unsold in his garage for years afterwards? I'm fairly sure Jonah Louie is one of the celebrities involved, so that might lend it some credibility. And there's a smiley face there, so I think he's
1: being ironic. Jonah Louie was.
2: We
1: while that particular party was going on. The only Jonah I know is
0: Jonah Lomu, the um, New Zealand rugby player and champion. Uh, he did oh. a song
1: called "Lou Louise, I Love You, I Love You, and I think he did Stop the Cavalry, which mm-hmm. um, now appears on many Christmas compilations, just like Slade's uh, Merry Christmas song. That's uh, not...
0: I, I don't know anything about what you're talking about there. This, that's completely passed me by.
1: Oh, God.
0: Oh, do I miss something? Is it, is it really that bad? Is my life bereft?
1: It goes back to our uh, youth where I was uh, filling my knowledge with lots of useless information like 80s music and I'm still living like that now.
0: You clearly embraced music uh, of all sorts back in the 80s. I, I was just a mere top 40 fellow. So if it's Bon Jovi or Def Leppard or uh, any of the stock Aiken Waterman crew... Um, I'm your man, but, um, <laughs> are, we, but, uh, are we the Mel and Kim of Dr. Who podcasting? Oh, uh, respectable. That, oh, yeah, I'm just going to start singing that, but I can't remember the words to it. Yeah. If you start uh,
1: singing, especially for you, I'm going to hang out yeah. right now.
0: Well, there is that tie back to, um, uh, Voyage of the Dam with Kylie Minogue. Yes. God bless Kylie as well, by the way. Yes. Great Australian, uh, export. Bringing bringing in the hard currency to our fair shores.
1: And hasn't done a decent album in about 10 years.
0: Crack on, Kylie, crack on. So we better crack on. Uh, uh, Captain uh, Hawkins concludes by saying, Anyway, here's to a great 2015. The year we either cremate the Omni-Rumour and piss on its ashes, or we celebrate the return of the Celestial Toymaker. At least we have the underwater menace to look forward to. Keep punching, (laughs) Captain Hawkins. Bless you, Captain. Thank God bless him. Thank you for that. Thank you for all your correspondence. Keep on rolling them in, folks. We uh, we love your feedback. We love reading out your feedback. There's often uh, lots of wonderful, great points brought up there, and it uh, always spurs uh, some interesting conversation uh, between myself and Mark.
1: Speaking of pissing on the ashes, uh, when's England due to turn up next year on the cricket team? See, apparently they're coming this year. What? After the World Cup. Uh, there's a tour to England again. I, I
0: thought that they, they were back-to-back last year. Yeah, because of the World Cup and then they're going again this year is that right I don't know Uh, one of our listeners is a hardcore cricket fan maybe he can write into us and explain exactly what the hell is going on between the ECB and Cricket Australia because I thought they're usually four years apart but then uh, they went back to back last year and uh, of course England won and Australia sadly didn't won the second up Mm. that's the letter section for this podcast everyone thank you very much for writing and as I said before uh, please keep uh, the missives uh, rolling in we love them keep punching Keep on punching. I think that's going to be my motto for this year. Keep on punching.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: That's what I'm going to say to my clients at work. Keep on punching. I had, I had, I had a friend's grandfather once say to me, uh, uh, box on, Robert, box on. And uh, he was into his 80s back in the 90s, so he was he was clearly old school, and that's uh, always stuck with me. Box on. What did
1: Churchill used to say? Keep buggering on?
0: Keep buggering on? That's correct. That's correct. There's, uh, Winston Churchill, what a great man. Mm. What a great man. Yes. Just don't ask the Mao um, the, uh, Mau in uh, Kenya, I think. They won't want to know.
1: Or Gallipoli um, as well.
0: Well, mm. it, was a, it was a smart idea, but poorly executed. But anyway, uh, oh, this is the year of the centenary, actually, of, the, of Gallipoli campaign. <laughs> a, bit, a bit like Series 8. <laughs> All right. Shall we say goodbye,
1: Mark? Um, before we go, we'd just like to plug something. Uh, Seasons of War, which is the unofficial Doctor Who charity anthology featuring uh, John Hurt's War Doctor in a uh, variety of scrapes during the Time War, is uh, shortly being released. It's got a stack of well-known authors, such as uh, Andrew Smith, uh, Paul Mars. Kate Orman. A whole vast array of writing talent is being published shortly. So have a look on Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com, Seasons of War Anthology. All the information is there, and Rob and I are really behind this worthwhile project, and we hope you will uh, get behind it as well. I'm certainly going to buy a copy of this and uh, read Engines of War and uh, then dip into this afterwards. Yes,
0: I've heard Engines of War is quite a good book, so I might uh, pick that up myself uh, in the near future.
1: Are we out of here, Mark? I think we're out of here. I think we're nearly as long as uh, a lot of other podcasts at the moment. (laughs) Something we're trying to avoid. Well, we did have a little bit of a
0: break, so it's it's nice to cleanse the palate with, uh, I think it was... Uh, cleanse the palate with uh, an extended conversation. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. You can grab us uh, at all the usual spots: yes. uh, uh, Facebook, of course, uh, facebook dot com forward slash forty two to doomsday. Gmail account forty two to doomsday at gmail dot com. Catch us uh, on Twitter uh, at forty two to doomsday. Where, depending on my mood, you might either laugh, laugh, or
1: cry, or get blocked, and
0: uh, <laughs> or be blocked. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of blockage there, but. Uh, always good to hear from our listeners
1: to sign off I've been Mick
0: and I've definitely been Rick
1: Grimes punch on
2: I was sitting in front of the TV said there was nothing much else to do then along come this amazing code they call No ads to interrupt me on an interspatial cruise There was moving metal madness self programmed to destroy The Doctor has them covered to thwart their every boy? Exterminate, exterminate that evil monotone The Doctor fights the Daleks and I'm are all alone Inside the doors. A vast interior complex defies dimensional laws. His robot dog is by his side, he packs a powerful punch. And he always has the answers when it comes down to the crunch. Doctor. They will depend on dog